We are in John chapter 10 today. We're going to talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. If you need a Bible, the ushers have some. Raise your hand, they'll bring them to you. If you don't own a Bible, please keep it. So let's just thank the Lord and ask him to guide us. Father, in your word today, Lord, teach us, encourage us, convict us, whatever we need, Father, to to continue to dwell in your son, to walk with you. So look forward to today what you're going to teach us through your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to tell you a story, and it's kind of a long story as we set up for today in John chapter 10, Jesus being the good shepherd. In the middle of the second century BC, about 160, 170-ish, there's a man named Judas Maccabeus, and his family, his dad and his brothers, and all all their spouses and children, they're faithful to the Lord. But they're struggling with something. Much of Israel is not faithful to the Lord. The religious leadership is not faithful to the Lord. In fact, they have, they have abandoned Yahweh's ways and have started practicing the Greek ways. At that time, there was the king. His name was Antiochus, Antiochus IV. He redubbed himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus, God revealed. Now, some of the Jews named him Antiochus Epimenes, one letter change which means Antiochus, the mad one. He was an egomaniac. He, in a campaign, he went down to Egypt. If you're up in Syria or Greece and you have to go to Egypt, you must pass through Israel. And so they went through Israel, down to Egypt, Antiochus and his armies, to try and take over Egypt, and they failed. As they're coming back through it, they ransack Jerusalem and the temple. They take all the furniture or the, 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 the candlestick, the, the lampstand, the, lamp the, the altar of incense, the showbread, all that, they take it back to Greece. In the midst of that, they sacri- he sacrifices a pig on the altar. He forbids worship of Yahweh. He stops circumcision. He sets up an altar to Zeus. And the very sad thing is, shocking, is the Jewish leadership, the priests, join with him as they abandon their God. He even built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, which if you understand the purpose of a gymnasium in, in the Greek, Roman, Greek, Greco-Roman culture, went entirely against what Israel stood for as they worshiped their God. So the Jewish leadership followed God's appointed shepherds of his people, failed their sheep. So Judas, Maccabeus, and his family, they go up into the mountains. And it's a couple years up there, and, and more faithful Israelites are joining them, thousands of them. And eventually, and I'll cut this story short, eventually they come back down and engage Antiochus' general in battle. And way outnumbered, the Israelites are, the faithful outnumbered. But God gives them the victory. And they chase the Greeks out. They replace the unfaithful priests with faithful priests to Yahweh. They rededicate the temple and cleanse it and created a new candelabra. There was only one day's oil supply left. But God did a miracle, and that one day's oil supply lasted for eight days. So they instituted this thing called this Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights, it's also called, 
but we call it Hanukkah. It takes place on the 25th of, of Chislev, which is about the end of November, 1st of December. And today, faithful Jewish people celebrate for eight days God's victory of Judas Maccabeus and his people chasing out the Greeks and reestablishing worship as Yahweh said it should be. It's in the midst of this celebration that Jesus declares he is the good shepherd. The Feast of Dedication in, in John 10, and 23, it says this, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So it's this very time period where Israel is now 200 years after Judas Maccabeus is still continuing to celebrate God's victory, and they established this yearly festival. The victory was when a time when Israel's leadership were not being good shepherds. Jesus declares himself the good shepherd. So that's the context. So I want to read John 10. We're going to cover John 10, verses 1 to 30. And um, we'll look at them in, in, in a section at a time. And we're going to ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? And what does that mean for us in daily walk? I know my last several sermons have been pretty heavy, a lot of information. I'm really good at information, sometimes not good at application. Today I'll try better at application. But first, Jesus presents himself as the door of the sheepfold. Let me read chapter 10, 1 through 5 to you. As Jesus sets up this teaching about him being the good shepherd, he starts with being the door. So 10, 1 through 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Well, I'll just show you this picture. A sheepfold in Israel. This, this is a modern-day one, and it's very similar to what Jesus' day. They would build this rock formation about waist-high, They'd put on top of it all these thorns and, 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 and thorn bushes and bristles that would keep the sheep from jumping over and people from getting in. Multiple shepherds would put their sheep in there and they'd close the gate up. Sometimes a shepherd, if there wasn't a gate, they actually sleep at the gate. And so when the shepherd came to get his sheep, he would call them. And even though there may be multiple shepherd sheep in that pen, only that shepherd's sheep would come out because they knew his voice. So Jesus, right away, he's making a strong declaration about his role in Israel, but he's also making a declaration about the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees, here's an interesting fact. The Pharisees started in the days of Judas Maccabeus. Since the, the teachers of Israel, the priests of Israel, abandoned teaching the law to the people, this group of righteous men rose up to teach the people the law. And this was the time the synagogue got started. And the Pharisees ran the synagogues. And so the very people who rose up to teach the people of Israel 200 years later in Jesus' time are now the false shepherds. In chapter 9, remember the healing of the blind man? It specifically says there in 922 that 
the Pharisees kicked out of the synagogue anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And then the man born blind believed in Jesus the Messiah, so they kicked him out too. And so Jesus is now responding to that. Those of you who call yourselves representatives of God on earth are actually the robbers. You are the thieves. I am the door to the sheep. So let's look at the next few verses where Jesus shifts the metaphor from I am the door to Jesus is the good shepherd. Here's where we'll spend most of our time. So I'm going to read to you chapter, John chapter 10. I never finished 6 through, let me read 6 through 10. I didn't do that. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I want to continue and read through verse 30 as a whole chunk for you. Then we'll come back and look at the role of a shepherd. So look at verse 11 now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I want you to remember that word snatches them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I might bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So there's our context for today. But given this strong declaration of Jesus is the good shepherd, and the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and though it's not direct, the context tells us he's talking about the religious leaders of Israel just like those in the time of Judas Maccabeus when this festival of dedication was first established, the shepherds of Israel turned their backs on the sheep. So you understand that was about 150 BC, right? Actually, then about 250 years before that was the time of Ezekiel. 
the exact same thing happened when Ezekiel and Jeremiah were preaching. The priesthood of Israel had abandoned the sheep. And God, through them, condemned the leaders of Israel as false shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, I'm going to read that now, because this is the passage that is read every year at Hanukkah. So as Jesus is declaring he is the good shepherd, this is what the people are hearing when they go to synagogue about evil shepherds. So Jesus is clearly making a distinction between himself and the others. And as we read this, what I want you to do, I want you to think of the things God is condemning Israel's leadership for being bad shepherds, because obviously a good shepherd does the opposite. Does that make sense? So I'm just trying to give you this context. When Jesus claims I'm a good shepherd, this idea of a false shepherd permeates the whole celebration. And Jesus is bringing this hope that I'm the good one. So listen to Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, and think of what a good shepherd does, not a bad shepherd. Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says Lord God. And you know, you got to read some, some disgust in this passage, some anger on God's part. Ah, oh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost one you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. As Ezekiel is writing this, and we'll read this passage from Jeremiah in a minute, much of Israel was taken captive to Babylon and much of Israel fled to Egypt. To, to be delivered from Babylon. So they've been scattered. Verse 6, They wandered over the, all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey, my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves that have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. That's what the Israelites are hearing in the midst of Jesus proclaiming he's the good shepherd. Jeremiah has two verses written at the same time. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Remember that word Lord is Yahweh, declares Yahweh. Therefore says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my sheep or my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deed, deeds, declares Yahweh. That is sobering. I gave you a job to do, to attend my sheep, the people of Israel, and you have not done it. So now, God's, so now I will attend to you. And that's not a positive thing. All that is the context in which Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. And the religious leaders 
knew exactly what he was saying. So let's look now in Mark chapter 10 at the marks of a good shepherd. I've pulled these from Ezekiel passage, from John, and from other passages in the New Testament. And the first one, the, the stark one, he mentions twice. Jesus protects his sheep with his own life. Listen to verses 11 to 15 again of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. You know a physical shepherd will get in between the wolf and his flock. And he'll die to protect them. That's what a good shepherd does. And if you were hired by somebody for a little above minimum wage to protect the sheep and the wolf's coming at you, what are you going to do? That's what a hireling does. Not Jesus. But the metaphor of the good shepherd dying for his sheep is fleshed out in reality to be the cross. Jesus, the good shepherd, gave up his life on the flock to bring us life. And so, and in doing so, who is the chief wolf in the world? Satan is. And what has the cross followed by the resurrection, done to Satan's power over us. Taking it away. He no longer has authority over us. And this is just a Christian. Understand that. Colossians chapter 1 is very clear. Because of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, for you, he's delivered you from the kingdom of darkness, which is the realm of Satan, to the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light, it says. And so Satan is not our authority anymore. He's not a ruler. He truly has nothing in me that I don't give to him. So, so listen carefully. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says this. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. In other words, there's times in life where anger is appropriate, but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. So don't stay angry for a long time. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a place. That's the literal Greek. Translation sometimes opportunity or foothold, one translation. You see, the devil doesn't have a place in you and me. Jesus delivered us from that. I can give it back to him. By my choosing sin and anger in this particular place, I can give the devil influence again in my life. But because Jesus died for me, I'm protected from that wolf. He gives his life up for his sheep. Second thing a good shepherd does is he gathers into one flock. Listen to John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, who's he talking about? Other sheep not of this fold. Us, Gentiles. If you're Jewish, you're part of the first fold, the original fold. If you're not, you're a Gentile. I mean, every, biblically speaking, a Gentile is everyone who's not Jewish. You believe in Jesus, Jesus makes us into one fold. And so this is very important. We, we talk about this building as the house of God. And we talk about this room as the sanctuary. 
Now, th those are images that are useful. But understand, this building is not the house of God. And this space in here is not the sanctuary. Who is the house of God? We are. What if we were outside? Where would the house of God be? Outside. See, you see, God saved a people. He uses all sorts of imagery for that. A people, he saved his bride. He saved the body of Christ. The people of God, he saved, he calls it the church, he calls it the building, he calls it a temple. It's all imagery for the fact that we as a group are one. And he saved us to keep his flock. And here's my application for us today. And, and in part, I'm talking to the people at home. I want to be careful. We've set this up so that people who, who are staying home can watch church. And, and that's a good thing. But during COVID, it was necessary. But my concern is, is many of you at home chose to stay home and not come back to be with the people. And I have a deep belief, so I'm going to push the metaphor that... Christ came to die for his flock and to make them one. And it's in the flock that there's security and safety. And when we choose to not join the flock, we're putting ourselves in danger. Um, and so take this imagery, and you at home, you, you figure out where you stand on this. I don't want to be your judge. I just want to be your pastor that's telling you this. When a sheep gets lost all by itself, what does it become? It becomes wolf bait. And we are not designed to do this, do this alone. There's security in the numbers as we gather together. So I encourage you, again, I, I'm grateful for technology that if you can't make it to church, we get, you get to do this from home. Um, but I'm concerned that we've developed new habits that are not what God designed. So this isn't a guilt trip, this is an admonition to um, come back to the flock as we gather together. And that's Sunday morning, that is home Bible study, that's Monday night dinner, come and join the flock. The next thing, Jesus feeds and nourishes his sheep. This is a natural thing. Psalm 23, it's a passage. It says, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Okay? So the imagery here of a green pasture, he makes me lie down, which implies safety, but also food. And, and, and um, calm waters or still waters. Rushing waters would freak sheep out. So the calm waters allowed them to get in and drink and nourish them, but also a sense of security. So today, when we say Jesus, our good shepherd, feeds us, <clears throat> what's the primary means he feeds us? Okay, the word of God, I firmly believe that, 100%. How else? How else does Jesus feed us today? The Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit who dwells in us that uses this to nourish us. Again, let's go back to the flock. You guys nourish me. I hope I nourish you. Sometimes we wear each other down. Amen? 
But the, po- the goal here is as we're together and iron sharpens iron, we nourish one another through the Holy Spirit who's in us and the word God has given us through the oversight of the great shepherd. So it's Jesus who does this for us. So I beg you and encourage you, open your Bibles, call out to the Spirit and say, teach me. And just start reading through them. You know, we're doing the Gospel of John now. So when we started this series, a lot of you said we'll read John together. I haven't reminded you necessarily, but we'll be in John 11 next week. So this week, feed yourself on John 11. Next week, we'll talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Another thing a shepherd does, a good shepherd, he guides and leads his sheep. So listen to John 10, 3 to 5. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, as they do not know the voice of the strangers. I already read to you about the fact that that, um, Jesus has one flock, Jew and Gentile, and he guides them. So let's, let's use this idea. He calls us. We hear his voice. We'll talk about that in a minute. Do you recognize the voice of your Savior? And then he leads us. So leading means his Savior's in front, and we follow. See, the, 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 the flocks of those days weren't huge. I used to live in Winnemucca for six years back in the 80s. And out there, the Basque, um, a Basque are a large population group in northern Nevada. And they're sheep herders. And they have thousands of sheep in their flocks. And they, they, they don't lead their sheep, they drive their sheep. And I remember I had an old 1969 Toyota Land Cruiser, and we go out in the desert, and just, just four-wheeling, me and my boys. And, um, and we come across, um, sometimes the shepherd, the, 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 the Basque would have their, the, the, they'd be trailers that were tents. And that's where they lived out there. <clears throat> and they'd be out with their sheep, and they'd move them based upon where the grass was. But sometimes there'd be hundreds and thousands that they would drive. They would drive on horse by foot with their dogs and sometimes on ATVs. And so I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. When you, have, when you have thousands of sheep, you can't lead them. Jesus is talking about a relationship here. Those, those shepherds in Winnemucca didn't have a relationship. But Jesus is talking about a relationship where I hear his voice. He calls me, I follow him. And I won't follow a false shepherd. And I would suggest to you, how do you hear his voice? And no, it's his voice. This can get subjective. But, but part of it starts with, do I know my Savior? What's been revealed about him, do I know it? So when I hear that voice, that subjective experience, which, which I, I would suggest to you is the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is referred to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus said, I will send my Spirit to you. So, so the Spirit of God talks to you and, and guides you. But there's also other spirits out there. Galatians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, I forget where it's at there, both say there are other Jesuses. Don't follow the wrong Jesus. Back once again. He has given us his word to know him. He's given us his people to stay secure within and when I start getting off track, what are you supposed to do for me? Slap me around. Slap me around. <clears throat> I prefer hold accountable over slap you around, but, but um, 
whatever it takes, whatever it takes to keep me following the true Savior. He guides and leads. We need to draw near. Elena, just in passing, made the comment. What'd you say, Elena? The more time you spend with the Savior, how'd you put it? The more time you spend with him, the more you look like him. And I would add on to that. The more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. And it's much easier to hear his voice. So we spend time with him through prayer. We're going to see in John 15 where Jesus says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will produce fruit. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Through prayer, through the word, through fellowship. He guides us, and he leads us. Jesus searches for the lost sheep. Ezekiel is condemning the false shepherds for not searching for the lost ones, the ones who have wandered off. No raise of hands, but I'm going to ask a question. How many of you have wandered off for a short time? Some of you raised your hands anyways. (laughs) Wasn't trying to embarrass anybody. We all have our times of our eyes are on the Savior, and then we look over there, and we take steps towards that. And sometimes we go far. The parable of the lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep on the hill and one wanders off. What does the good shepherd do? It says he leaves the 99 and pursues the one. See, leaving the 99 sounds like, whoa, that's abandoning them. He puts them in the sheepfold where they're safe. Then he goes out to rescue the one that's wandered off before the, the, the devil, the wolf, gets them. He searches for the lost sheep and he brings them back. And lastly, he keeps his sheep secure forever. This plays off of John chapter 6 where we talk about all the Father gives to me will come to me. I will not cast any out. I will not lose any, but I'll raise them all up on the last day. Listen to what Jesus says here. When the Jews ask him, hey, if you're the Messiah, tell us. And he says, I've told you and you don't believe. So let's start in verse 25, 1025. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That word snatch there is the same one when it says when the false shepherds are doing it, and the sheep are scattered, the wolf snatches them. I, I, don't, I don't want to sound callous. I had a friend who had a little tiny pug or something, a little tiny puppy. It was down at Mayberry Park outside of Reno. And was just sitting there playing on the lawn with this little puppy. And someone, a, people bring their dogs there. And someone had a, a pit bull that was off the leash. And the pit bull ran by, grabbed that little puppy, and ran off and killed it. I'm just a horrific experience. But get that image in your head that that's what wolves do to, pe- to sheep that are alone. They snatch them and run. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Cannot. Then he makes it even, he ups the ante. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. 
And so this is the culmination, and we could talk about many other things the shepherd does. But the good shepherd protects his sheep with his own life. Jesus died to make you his own sheep. He's gathered us into one flock. He feeds and nourishes us. He guides and leads us. He, we are trained on his voice to hear that and his only. If we wander off, he searches for us. But he keeps us ultimately secure forever. So we can, if we wander off, he comes after us. That's the shepherd we serve. I want to just take one moment and talk to leaders in the church. I want to read 1 Peter 5, which addresses the elders in the church as Jesus' under-shepherds. But I think we need to expand this. I've told you before that often on Wednesday at 1.30 we have staff meeting. We have Wednesday staff meeting every Wednesday at 1.30. Often I'll bring a devotional from the sermon I'm preparing. So this week we read through Ezekiel 34 on false shepherds. And then I reminded them of this passage, that our staff, Gabe, who is a minister to our youth, Jessica, who is a minister to our children, Elena, who leads us in worship, Matthew, who is our church administrator, we are together as the staff that we're here all day, Monday through Friday, together, Monday through Thursday. And I told them, you're shepherds. You may not hold the position of elder in a church, but you are shepherds. And what Peter says applies, that as Christ has been our good shepherd and he protects with his own life, he gathers into one, he feeds and nourishes his sheep, he guides and leads us, he searches for lost sheep, and he keeps his sheep secure. To a certain degree, that's all church leaders' role. Let me read to you 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. As I said, he's talking to elders, but I suggest we apply it to every church leader. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, because you're called to, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So if you are a church leader in any way, there's been a calling on your life, then a responsibility with that. And that responsibility is people. The people God has put in your ministry. And we will all give an account for what he's given us to do. But that last one, if we do this the way he's called us to do it, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why unfading? Because the crowns they got for the games in, in Israel, or not, excuse me, in, in the secular world, were wreaths that faded. The one Jesus gives you will never fade. The crown of glory. There's something about glory that God bestows upon his children. And those of you in faithful ministry serving others and leading others, there's this crown of glory God's going to give you on that day. I don't fully understand it, um, but as um, one person said, what a day that will be. 
with that, let's, let's thank the Lord, and then we're going to go into communion. Father, we thank you, Lord. Help us to get excited about the fact that you've given us your son as our shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and, and he willingly gave his life to make us his own. And he's gathered us, Lord, and he protects us, and he feeds us. What an amazing thing. And Lord, Lord I want us as, as his shepherd to be an honor to him also. So, so show us, Father, how we live together as your flock and follow your shepherd, your son. And, and Lord, we thank you for the wonderful promise no one can snatch us out of your hands. Just put deep within me, Lord, and everyone here a great desire to stay in your hands and not wander away. And every time sin comes knocking at the door, every time Satan tries to lure us away, Lord, we say, no! We're staying with our Savior because he loves me. He died for me. He protects me. Thank you for your son, Lord. In his name we give praise. Amen.